Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. So here we go then, everybody. Welcome to another edition of the flagship Kings of Anglia podcast. Once again, I am your stand-in host, Roscoe, as Heafy is off. But I'm joined by two fine gentlemen in Stuart Watson. And AJ, as we discuss another town win on the weekend, a 1-0 win at Sheffield Wednesday at Hillsborough. Um, let's not muck about. Let's bring in Stuart Watson. Stu, always a pleasure, my friend. How's things? Good morning. Yeah, very well, thank you. It's a long old down Saturday, wasn't it? On the road, there and back. But um, all the better for for another win. It's um, frankly quite ridiculous when you look at the stats. I think I saw a couple of tweets going around over the weekend about the calendar year and, and Man City being the only team in the English pyramid to have, have got more points per game than Ipswich. Um, yeah, this is going far better than any of us had uh, dared to dream. Yeah, I think once again, I think town fans would take that straight away. Like, you know, at the start of the last, or this season, sort of course, they'll gone, you know, four wins, or how many wins is it? Four wins out, no, five wins out of six, which is just, it's incredible. So, yeah, shout out to McKenna and co. Uh, I think it was it McKenna's 50th win in charge as well um, on the weekend. I think that's the stat. So, um, yeah, congratulations to the K-Mac. And um, let's bring in AJ, my friend. Always a pleasure. How's things? Mm-hmm. Very good. Yes, a long day on Saturday. I was very happy that we had our uh, pilots getting us there and back in the top right corner of your screens for those watching on the video. Yeah, um, me, of course. <laughs> yeah, not not in the top left <laughs> side. Um, so yeah, that was that was quite nice. Uh, I I had also seen those stats. I think I think I'm right in saying that in terms of actual wins, Town have had the most in that graphic because obviously they played more. Stu's going to go get it up now. But I think in terms of the actual wins, in terms of the numbers of games and the wins, I think Town might have the most off the top of my head from from the one that I know he's referring to. So I think that's uh, yeah. That's a pretty impressive stat from uh, K-Mac, as you say, the K-Dog, as I think you went with before. Um, <laughs> just thought I'd bring that one up again. Uh, and I think that it's, it's nice to kind of come into these every week, even after the Leeds game, where you could kind of see the positives from it and just feel in a good mood. You've not gone and seen something absolutely terrible and, and defeat after defeat. I think it's nice to maybe come into these pods just feeling happy and having a bit of a buzz. I have indeed got it up for everybody here. Uh, Ipswich Town second in the calendar year table behind Manchester City. This is from ITFC Live on Twitter. Um, scored more goals than anybody else, 67 goals. Fewer defeats than anybody else, too, compared to Man City's three. Um, 2.29 points per game, which only Manchester City beat. So that just tells you just how good... Ipswich Town have been um, this calendar year. Crazy. 
Madness, just completely madness. Um, as always, I forgot to mention our sponsors. Uh, big shout out to Manscape, of course. Uh, use code KOA to get 20% off and free delivery. And of course, Ginger Pickle, um, SEO, not CEO Ross, SEO marketing and all that. Shout out to Tony Southgate and the team for the continued support. I think he's been in, in Croatia, which has um, been really nice to see. I've been seeing these pictures. So um, yeah, keep, keep them coming, Tony, if you're still out there. Um, but anyway, segue on to um, another win. Uh, happy Monday again, um, because, yeah, we've seen another win, a 1-0 win at Sheffield Wednesday. Uh, shall we? We've mentioned K-Mac, K-Dog. Shall we um, hear from him and his thoughts on the game, boys, and then we'll segue on to different things. Of course, Connor Chapman scored the, the winning goal, um, although was there a touch? We'll talk about it in a bit, but let's hear from McKenna. I love the game, the performance, and, and, of course, the result. I thought this was a big one for us today in the season not having managed to, to win here in the last couple of visits and of course you know it's a barometer for us as a, as a team because we've you know I've fought the tight games with them in the last couple of years so um, it was a big game for us uh, I thought it was an excellent performance for the first half we you know coming back from international duty I thought we imposed ourselves on the game dominated the game carved through their pressure a few times created some big opportunities pressed well didn't give them anything I thought it was an excellent performance and Really, we got the goal for half time, but it was probably, you know, deserved a bit more than that. And the same start of the second half, I thought, you know, probably on 65 minutes, we should have been two or three in a lot. Um, so, of course, that first period, that, that, you know, large chunk of the game was really, really pleasing. Um, but on the other hand, the last 20 minutes was really pleasing as well, because when you don't get the second goal, and we also were a little bit limited in the substitutions there, because we had to make an early stoppage and use one then you have to see the game out in a different way and defend with organisation and resilience and um, dig in and, and take care of the details and defend your set plays and to do that for the last part of the game against you know Sheffield Wednesday and this crowd and win to going into the end that we were defending, um, that's a terrific thing for the boys to go through as well. So, um, yeah, probably two main different bits of the game, but um, both to, to really enjoy. And it shows good growth as a team because, you know, last year we were here and 2-0 up um, and we didn't manage to, to manage the game right and you know give away a goal from a set play and um, I think we've, we've learned a lot over the last 12 months about that phase of the game how to manage games and the, the discipline required the details required how to defend our you know our final third without sagging into the box too much and um, yeah we've done that really well and again it's another area that shows the, the growth in the, in the players later Stu, McKenna loves this game. Um, one nil win. Um, of course, that little hoodoo we have with Sheffield Wednesday, you know, 2018. Of course, QPR was similar. We beat them one nil, beat Sheffield Wednesday one nil. Um, where do you want to start? Um, should we actually talk about maybe the starting eleven? Because that was the talking point, because we've had international break where the players gone, you know, play for their countries. Um, big Fred started for this one. He did, yeah. Yeah, we wondered sort of uh, who who would pass fitness tests with Wes Burns, George Hurst doubts going into this one. Hurst ended up being on the bench back at his boyhood club and Freddie got the nod after his two goals against Cardiff prior to the international break. Um, Freddie didn't have his best game on the ball, I think it's fair to say. I think there was a moment in the first half where he just, just lost his footing, tripped over his own feet, slashed the ball, which kind of summed up his his afternoon in possession. Um, I'm not having people say he's, he's lazy, though. He, he grafted. Um, that now just kind of gets chucked about willy-nilly with, with Freddie Ladapo. He 
constantly charged down the goalkeeper. Um, and it could have been easy for him to go into his shell after that miss around 14 minutes. And that was a big chance. Um, good move from Ipswich. Um, playing out from the back, which was a theme with with Kladke and um, giving it and getting it back and uh, kind of puts you on the on the edge of your seats sometimes. But it's risk versus reward and Ipswich were getting reward from it. And that move was fantastic. Eventually ended with um, Burns sweeping in the cross and either side of the goalkeeper and it's uh, and it's 1-0. Um, but yeah, that, that didn't go in for Freddie and that was really... Um, sort of a, a summary of Ipswich's day, really. Created lots of chances, didn't take enough of them. Um, but thankfully, one one was enough against, let's be honest, a, a very poor Sheffield Wednesday side that, that never tested Ladke all, all day. No, easiest clean sheet he'll have in his town career, I'm sure. Um, AJ, what, are you, what were you feeling like, you know, in that, those opening, say, 30 minutes, um, taking chances, having the ball a lot? Um I think we spoke, you know, yesterday or on Saturday after the game. It wasn't as hostile, the, you know, the the atmosphere as last time we were there. You know, there's a cauldron of just, you know, very angry Sheffield Wednesday fans. But I think a lot of them, I hate to say it, but they probably felt defeated already because of the, the start they've had and everything like that. But yeah, what's that first half an hour or so um, town performance in your, in your eyes? Yeah, I agree with the, the kind of atmosphere thing because I think when the players walked out and they play hi-ho, Sheffield Wednesday or Silver Lining as the actual song is. And they do all that. And you think, wow, okay, that you know, there is a bit of a buzz. And then as soon as the game kicked off, it just sapped out. Um, I think it also probably didn't help that town started quite well in terms of their chance creation, in terms of playing on the front foot. And I think that Sheffield Wednesday fans had seen the story before. Um, you know, they've they've had the defeats, they've not really been thrashed aside from the trip to Hull off the top of my head, but they they've not really been able to, to consistently come up against these teams that play on the front foot and then go and pick up points because the only one they've got so far is, is from that Leeds game. Um, and when you look at what they had against Preston, for example, I think it probably would have been quite a similar game with that one with the Southampton game. Yeah, they, they scored in, uh, I think, against Southampton. Don't they did against Preston. But uh, yeah, I just think it kind of followed a similar pattern from that perspective. Um, and I think for Town, it was more just a case of everything felt pretty calm. Like even when they were playing out from the back and there were a few nervy moments on that, it was a big theme that we've seen in the championship in terms of how they want to approach doing that because there is going to be higher press from, from sides and there's more risk. And you looked at when Wolfenden played Vaz into a whole load of trouble, for example, there, there is that danger there. But outside of that, where town pretty much only once or twice ended up playing themselves into trouble, it just felt like such an easy opening and, and it kind of spanned on after that and it really felt even though they weren't taking their chances that it would take something miraculous for, for Sheffield Wednesday to kind of come through and it would just be a matter of town time for town sorry to uh to kind of go through and break the deadlock like they did yes do should we talk about the goal then just before half time you know good time to score a goal when you when it's nil nil and uh going to half time you want to make sure to get that goal and uh Connor Chaplin pops up Leaf Davis good Good assist from him. Pull back from Chappers. Boom. Trademark Connor Chapman goal. Yeah, goal we've seen plenty of times during the McKenna era. The cutback Kings. Um, fantastic weighted pass over the top from Massimo Luongo. Davis is on his bike. Um, has the calmness 
and the vision to to pick out Connor. He knows exactly where he's going to be arriving late, middle of the box, and um, yeah, had to get it through a a crowd of bodies and over the line. Um, we weren't quite sure who the final touch came off. I'm still not 100% sure whether it's off of a, a Wednesday defender. I think it's for Maywo diving in or whether Freddie Ladapo takes a little touch. A little, a small replay screen in the front row in front of us where the cameramen and analysts were. And you can see Freddie instantly put his hand up to celebrate. And then I wonder if he thinks, oh, I might be offside here. Um, I better not. I don't know if that came into it um, when we spoke to players and Kieran McKenna afterwards and asked, you know, did anyone, is it, is Freddie claiming it? They kind of looked at us a bit quizzically. I don't think that had been raised at all in the dressing room. Um, maybe, maybe Freddie's not the type to kind of make a fuss about that. And uh, Connor certainly with his, his hunger for goals isn't, isn't going to be giving that one up lightly, is he? So um, ultimately, it doesn't matter, does it? Ipswich, Ipswich scored, they got the breakthrough and it was a great, great time to get it. Yeah, my position pitch side, I just I just saw Chaplin score it and I just thought, yeah, he, he's been given it. And um, I want to quickly bring up a picture. Um, our, another photographer, Steve Waller, took for us and um, Connor Chaplin doing his celebration. Um, he's painting... Um, the goalpost here, and um, I actually asked Chaplin uh, about this. I wanted some context because you always wonder why people, you know, players do different celebrations. And basically, he just said to me, "It's a shout out to his painter. He's had some painters in at his house, and um, it's just shout out to the painters." So, if you are Connor Chaplin's painter, listen to this podcast. Shout out to you, and uh, hope you did a good job. Um, well, that's cleared yeah. that up because I I thought. He was kind of doing this with his arm, wasn't he, on the goal line? And I thought there might be some sort of idea of goal line technology or something. I mean, there was yeah. no question that the ball had gone over the line, but it kind of <laughs> rolled back and stopped near the line. I wasn't quite sure what, what that was all about. So I thought he was fishing. <laughs> I, it looked like he was just trying to go like that. And I was thinking, is that the... I That kind of made a bit more sense in my head. I feel like uh, both mine and Stu's answers there made a little bit more more sense at least from from our perspective compared to painting but yeah fair enough and yeah shout out well it'd be great if the painters listen to the pod i'd love that yeah you never know you know i'm sure chaplin lives in suffolk so i'm sure most people who live here do do support which of course some people you know support other teams of course but um yeah you are if you are the painter let us know let us know um (laughs) So yeah, we go celebrations. I, I, I just love the story behind celebrations because we've had a few in the past, haven't we? Stu? definitely. I loved um, back in the day, Martin Waghorn. He did a few, didn't he? You know, the Call of Duty, did the gaming one, uh, did some oh, just yeah, Mario Kart one. I think Mario Kart one, one, yeah, yeah. And of course, Connor Chaplin and George Hurst have the golfing one. They always do that, don't they? If George Hurst on the pitch and if he scores or Connor Chaplin scores respectively, they'll do that. Um, so yeah, there we go. Story behind that. Uh, AJ, do you want to talk about, um, you know, that first half as a whole, you know, to go 1-0 up? Um, probably that's what we wanted. You know, we didn't probably, I don't know if the game would have changed if it was still 0-0 at half-time. I don't think so. It probably would have changed McKenna's team talk in, in that sense. I think that I tried to sum up at half-time in terms of looking at the game, the half as a whole. Firstly, I think it was probably one of the longest halves we've ever had but the town had the lead and they were playing well and I think that coming back from an international break to do that is quite a big thing in the sense that there's seven players out who were traveling 
many of them were going off abroad. You had Morsi off in Egypt. He only came back, I think, two or three days before. I think he was in training for the first time on the Thursday, I believe, uh, before the game. So for him to come in and do that and then put in an absolutely massive performance at Hillsborough, that's a really big one. You look at others like Burgess, who, yeah, might have had some more time, but there's still so much travel involved in this. And, and they looked really fresh and, and really at it. And you're thinking, absolutely, if they weren't necessarily travelling all over the place, they probably would have been a little bit more fresh and, and firing in the final third. I think the other thing that we probably do need to touch on, um, I, I don't know if this was in your plan at some point, Ross, but the Leith Davis injury at the very end of that um, first half, which looks like a, a massive blow. I think we, we had concerns when we saw him down the way he had to get carried off by Wes Burns and Harry Clark and, and uh, just kind of get lifted off the pitch. Couldn't put any weight on it really. Um, really did look quite bad. So it's a tricky one for him where it could be that they put it in a boot and they'll see how the swelling goes and maybe he's just rolled his ankle and it, it might just be a sore one that might see him out for a few games. But if it's a nasty injury, he would be a huge miss as we saw in that first half. I um I was like looking around because um I was like seeing if Wednesday had stretchers or not because I was like surely if it's really that bad you know maybe put him on a stretcher but uh, maybe just leave it no I'm fine you know to t- I'm not I'm not fine but I'd rather be taken off by my teammates and then two physios taking me off but I was like looking around just in case there was maybe they didn't have no stretchers but I, I imagine most football league grounds need or even just non-league grounds they need some sort of thing to carry off because sometimes it could be worse than that um but yes do your thoughts on that. Um, not had much of an update just yet. We'll have to wait and see for for the Southampton game on Tuesday night. But uh, yeah, assisting a great goal for Chaplin, and then yeah, a couple of seconds later, that injury. Yeah, uh, Alex. Just quickly, Alex mentioned Cameron Burgess coming back from Australia. No signs of jet lag from him. I thought he was absolutely immense. He was probably my pick of the Ipswich players. Got his head on on absolutely everything. Um, but going back to Davis. Um, yeah, there's no dressing it up. He's he's a big blow. He's one of their top top three players, most influential players in this team over the course of the last twelve months or so, um, which is saying quite a lot considering he's a left back. But uh, the, the chances that he creates, the assists he has, um, it will be a blow if he's out for any period of time. Um, hope it's just a nasty roll of the ankle, a sprain. Um, but if there's ligament damage, I mean, it's hard. The way it's described, the way he kind of fell on it, rolled it, had an opponent land on him as well at the same time, and the way we saw him kind of carried off the pitch, um, not able to put any weight on it, kind of summons up imagery of that George Edmondson one against Lincoln, which kept him out for quite a while and has continued to dog him. So I hope that's not not the case. Um, the only silver lining is that Ipswich went out and signed a player that's played plenty of games at left back in the Premier League um, not so long ago in Brandon Williams. It's his favourite position. I think that Ipswich brought him in primarily to compete with with Harry Clark at right back because it didn't look like the door was ever going to be ajar for him at left back. But it is now. He came on and um, just like against Cardiff, I thought he had a um, pretty encouraging um, cameo appearance, I, I thought, from Brandon. Yeah, especially in the second half, you know, that great run he made. And if that came out to be a goal or anything, that would have been an amazing goal. Um, AJ, thoughts on Brandon Williams' performance? Um, going into now, we'll go into the second half now. Yeah, I think he's just had such a nightmarish start, hasn't he? You look at the Leeds game where 
I think the replays we've seen loads of times where he just gets absolutely spun over by Luis Sinistera and then again the own goal that he had against Cardiff against Reading, sorry. And you could see the positives starting. He was he looked much better in that Reading game, and it was kind of unfortunate that it started off with that own goal. This one, I think you could really see how much he's benefited from the international break because he looked so much fitter, he looked so much sharper, the way that he kind of imposed himself on the back line, but also got himself forward. I, I've always, when when you read what he's been saying about his own style, it's been very much, I love defending. I, I like kind of getting back and putting in the tackles and going deep. And then you look at the run that you mentioned, for example, and yeah, maybe the final ball wasn't even bad, but it wasn't maybe quite there. But you look at the ambition to do that and push forward in a similar way that Davis does. And also just the athleticism to, to go in and make those runs and do those moves. And that's that's a really encouraging sign. We know the skill that he has to reach the top level and play at the top level. He's done it throughout his career so far. So if he can kind of build on these kind of performances and maybe shape himself in a Leaf Davis-style mould a little bit more that McKenna's going to want from him, especially on the left, where he's going to want to be you know, pushing towards the final third and getting good crosses into the box, then I don't really think that there's going to be a huge drop-off, if maybe even a drop-off at all, given the, the quality that he possesses. And I think that it, this is a really good chance for him to come in and put a real run of games together if Davis is going to be out. Kieran talks about them being different types of left back and how they're going to kind of have to adapt to use their qualities. Um, a lot of what Ipswich do is based around those tireless qualities of Leif Davis. He's he's got stamina just to get up and down that entire left side all game. Um, Brandon Williams looks a lot more dynamic. It's a lot more sprints. You you referred to that moment in the second half, which was almost Gareth Bale-esque where he kind of um, pushed it one side and had to arc his run off the pitch and and come back on, um, both in terms of his personality and his physical play. He's a lot more passionate and it's it's sprints, it's tackles, it's whereas Davis is a bit more uh, refined probably in what, what he does. Um, one is not necessarily better than the other, but I think Ipswich might have to adapt. Obviously, Brandon Williams is a right footer as well. So I think his instinct, as we saw with that run, is then to to check back inside onto his right foot. We talked about sort of the, the cutbacks. So many of those come from Leif Davis. It's Ipswich are going to have to adapt. They've got a good player there ready to step in, but they're going to have to adapt a little bit. And they're so well drilled and they've got these patterns of play. There might be a little adaptation process if, uh, if Brandon Williams is going to be in the side but the, the main thing is they did go out and get him and there was a few eyebrows raised why do we need to go out and sign a, a fullback at that time well this is why with the greatest of respect to Greg Lee who I know everybody loved as, as a player and a person he's now back in League One and Ipswich have, have got a player that's with, with a bit of Premier League pedigree there and that's why they tried to sort of future-proof their their squad um, for moments like this so um yeah, it's going to be interesting how they adapt to a different player there. Yeah, I think also when you look at the kind of the fullback situation and when they started adding the numbers up there, I think the injuries now have started to show why they needed that depth because you look at the two left-backs that they've had there, one now has an injury that could be quite serious. You look at Danassian, who's started to kind of have this fairly nasty issue with his groin, I think. It's a doctor to be exact. Uh, which really just leaves Harry Clark and he has been in a situation where he's still kind of trying to work his way back up to full fitness. Um, 
and they're now the two players where you look, well, if, if you don't have Danassian and uh, Leif Davis back, they're going to have to play a fairly intensive run of games mm. where Brandon Williams still was probably trying to work his way up to full fitness and Harry Clark still, while looking a lot better, and I thought that the Sheffield Wednesday game was probably his best game so far this season, he's still probably got to be on a slightly managed schedule just to make sure that he can stay totally fit because those Achilles injuries don't just go away like that. And then after that, you're probably looking at players like Don Ball and playing players out of position. So this is where you need those big squads. But already, I think Town are starting to to maybe just think they're, they're being tested a little bit in terms of those numbers, in terms of the versatility of the squad, and in terms of how they can kind of manage players uh, in terms of their fitness, in terms of the injuries over this really busy period. Indeed, um, because yeah, a lot of games Saturday, Tuesday, Saturday, Tuesday. Um, and that's why you need that, that that versatility. That's why you need that that squad depth. And uh, yeah, Lee Davis. We'll find out more, I'm sure, on that injury. Um, shall we hear from another player? Shall we hear from Mass AJ? You spoke to him after the game. Let's see what he had to say on the game. I guess his former club returning to Hillsborough for the first time since leaving. I think first half was pretty dominant from us. I'd say they had a game plan, and we just. You know, recognised where the space was, and you know we cut them open quite well. Um, yeah, okay, we have to defend a little bit, um, but Hillsborough away, I think you're expecting that. Uh, got the goal, and then second half, you know, straight away you're thinking they're going to change shape because if they don't, it could be three or four. Um, and do they stick to play and stick to try and combine and create things, or do they just? hit the big men up top and I think they, they had a bit of a mix as probably their transition stage so it was a little bit difficult to set press and or, but saying that you know most away games where we're up 1-0 and or 2-0 it, you know it calls for they're not going to just fall over and, and let us win so they, yeah I think it was important that we dug deep and um, we knew that was coming so it was a different performance from us say a little professional performance seeing that a win game management um, important so I think we look back at this in a couple of weeks or a couple of months and think like, oh yeah, that was a, a good win. It's one that maybe wasn't reflected as much in the scoreline, I guess, because it felt like you really had those chances to go and get three or four, as you said, with better finishing, probably would have got there. But it's not really that that matters. It's the fact that you're still going out there and picking up wins. Yeah, I think um, I think Freddie had one early, early. We score that. I think it changes them a little bit and then we got you know, long ball for a long amount of time pummeling the box and we're having to defend a lot longer than we thought but then we've got to be good enough for the counter-attack so um, it's just it's just the game management and different styles that call for different types of reactions so um, no games like that I think you enjoy more because they're 1-0 because you, you get tested in a different way and, and you've got to dig deep and, and work together better. Professional performance as Mass said Stu um, should we talk about some more chances because uh, George Hurst comes on He's had uh, some big chances in this game as well against his boyhood club. There's a few boos he got because of, uh, you know, of course his, his dad's a legend there, but with what happened with him leaving them. But um, yeah, he had some big chances, didn't he, Stu? He did, yeah. I mentioned the Freddie chance in the first half. Wes Burns had a good opportunity in the first half as well before the, the goal um, took on the shot when maybe the, the cross was the better option. Harry Clark has a header at a corner, really good save just after the restart. And then Hurst comes on to a cacophony of boos, as you say. The background behind that, if people don't know, is that he was at Sheffield Wednesday as a boy. He rejected a new contract there. Uh, and instead of going directly to Leicester, he went off to Leuven in Belgium 
Belgium, a uh, second-tier club over there, spent a year there and then transferred to their sister club, Leicester, which ultimately left Sheffield Wednesday with less compensation had he made the move directly. So, um, yeah, they haven't forgotten about that. Um, and he caused some real problems when he came on, George Hurst. Um, his running in behind, just continually getting in behind within... Minutes of being on, he'd got in behind once, lifted one shot onto the roof of the net. Seconds later, he'd, he'd forced a save again where probably the cutback or the cross was was the better option. And it gets to 70 minutes and all those chances have come and gone. And there's always, as any football fan, that nagging thing in the back of your mind, especially with what happened at Hillsborough last season, that um, could this come back to bite us? Um and that's what the best thing about this game was that Ipswich, as, as Massimo just said there to Alex in the clip, was their game management. It was the way that they were able to to calmly see this out. Um, they dealt with everything that Sheffield Wednesday had to had to throw at them, really. Yeah, they did. Um, yeah, there's a few set pieces, didn't they, um, AJ, Sheffield Wednesday? But um, yeah, they saw the game out. Never in danger. I never felt, nah, never felt Sheffield Wednesday was going to score, really. Um, and that was the case. Yeah, they were pretty poor, I can't lie. And I think that there is a real sense of concern around there when you when you look at kind of the atmosphere, the boos. I don't necessarily know how many of them are aimed at the players there necessarily. I think that the management probably with Cisco Munoz is, is coming under pressure from the supporters, if not from the chairman. And the chairman there, uh, in Dejuan Chancery, definitely is uh, not getting the warmest of receptions at Hillsborough now. And I think from what I've seen, they might be going down the tennis ball on the pitch route for their game against Middlesbrough uh, in midweek that we've seen uh, already at places like Reading, I think, over the weekend. So that kind of shows the state of the of the kind of club over there. Um, but it was just, it felt like a really easy situation and town, yeah, they didn't have much to do in, in the sense that whenever those balls came forward, they get into the box and they, they Sheffield Wednesday got into promising positions, but the actual end product, the final ball across trying to take shots on was never really any threat. You look at what Vaz had to do and it was, I tried to do the player rating for him on Saturday and I basically had to put it on, on how he played out from the back because in actual saves, he really didn't do anything because he didn't have to, there was no shots on target. It just felt very simple. It will probably be one off, if not the easiest win that uh, town will get this season and uh, it'll be interesting to see how they now cope with uh, slightly tougher tasks in the next uh, few days and weeks. They had a couple of sort of glancing headers in the box of a cross or two that sort of get, went through the area. I think they ended up with seven corners in the end, but you get a vibe, you get a feel, as you say, Ross, in these games where you feel like pressure's building and they never felt like a moment where they ignited the crowd. I think the moment where Sort of the lights went out in in that home crowd was when there was a foul throw given against one of their players, and and that just kind of summed up their afternoon. Really, um, the afternoon had started with I think supporters uh, defacing um, a Chanziri banner at the top of at the top of the stand, and the steward half heartedly trying to stop that. The, the chance against him started around the hour mark, and um, there just didn't seem to be any belief in that home crowd, and that really translated to the players and. I think they're in trouble Wednesday. Um, they remind me a lot of kind of Ipswich at the start of that relegation season where you can, you know, that they got that result at Leeds prior to the international break and you can convince yourself we're, we're improving, we're getting there, we're bedding new players in. Um, 
we got we've got you know we're not far away we're only losing games by the odd goal um and before you know it it's october it's november and you've left yourself chasing your tail with far too much work to do and they feel like with everything going on off the pitch at the moment that they're just they're heading that direction so um ipswich had had to go there and take advantage of that and um and they did yeah, and Stu, I want, to, I want to stick with you and talk about what McKenna mentioned, the sign of progress, because he, he suffered one of his early defeats against Sheffield Wednesday. And of course, last year, two draws. Um, yeah, so finally beating Sheffield Wednesday after, you know, loads of games where it's had talking points in it. But this one, 1-0 one win, job done. Yeah, you can look back at both the games last season, the 2-2s, Ipswich didn't didn't manage the game well enough from being 2-0 up at, at Hillsborough, gave away sort of some cheap free kicks, which enabled Wednesday to do what they're good at and load the box and put it in. And ultimately that pressure showed. So that's a sign of a step forward that they they managed the game a lot better. As, as McKenna said, they didn't sag back into their box and invite that pressure. They stayed on the front foot. Uh, they were good at winning, drawing fouls and winning soft free kicks themselves just to just to take the sting out of any kind of home home pressure. So there's a step forward in in that respect. But I also go back to the season before in one of McKenna's very early games. I think it was his sixth game in charge where Ipswich lost 1-0 there. Uh, Marvin Johnson scored very early on six minutes and Wednesday were in control from then on. It was a complete reversal of of this game in where Wednesday had loads more chances. I don't think Ipswich had a shot on target. It was a 1-0 thrashing for the home side. and, And here we are. When was that? January... 2022. So here we are less than two years later and, and they've completely flipped that script on its head. Um, this really didn't look like two teams that both finished on 90-odd points last season and, and there was little between them. Um, some of that is due to Sheffield Wednesday regressing and going backwards, but um, a lot of it is also Ipswich continuing to to progress and, and take steps forward. So, um yeah, we keep having these little moments that we're ticking off. You mentioned at the very start about ending these records. Um, they don't really mean much, all these various records. So they the TV things ended now. Um, for years, we talked about being rubbish after international breaks. You know, that, that addresses that a little bit. Um, the past really is a complete irrelevance to what is going on now with Ipswich Town records against teams. Uh, all that sort of stuff, it, it it really bears no no relevance to what's going on now. Yeah, I'll take that off my my plans going forward. You know, <laughs> oh, we've got a bad record there. We can't beat them. You know, we can't international break TV and all that sort of stuff. Now it's yeah, this team, this this club is a whole different club to what it was back. You know, not even that long ago, really. You know, three years ago, and and so so yeah progress all over the pitch and all over everywhere um aj any other business from the game you want to mention um any players you want to shout out um karen burge has already mentioned already but i thought he was he was just a rock one he's just been fantastic but yeah any other business my friend yeah um he, he got pipped in my man of the match pick because i looked at the stats as well with, with sam morsey in terms of what he did and he was top of the charts pretty much across the board in terms of his passing in terms of his tackles in terms of winning duels um when you look at maybe how he struggled in that respect to in, in the leeds game to come back and obviously a much easier game in in terms of the styles for example uh and to impose yourself against the team matchup for wednesday is probably a lot easier than against leeds as we've seen even as recently as Leeds playing yesterday in terms of their form. Um, 
But I thought he was just so dominant. And it's what you come to expect from him in a way. And I feel like maybe that goes under the radar a little bit because he's just so frighteningly consistent in terms of the way that he can dictate games and the way that he can bring the ball forward. And if you're running at him, if you're trying to play on the counter, he's that just that physical presence in the field where you're not going to get past. And maybe, as I said, that does sometimes go under the radar a little bit. Um, I didn't necessarily think there were too many kind of individual standouts outside of that. I think it was more just a really good team effort. I think Luongo's passing range was outrageous, setting up Davis uh, for the assist for that goal. It's an absolutely fantastic pass. There was another one where he sends Burns down the right with an unbelievable crossfield ball. He's he's just so good. And I think that it's hard for Jack Taylor as well. That's maybe another aspect where you have to look at it. We, we spoke to Jack Taylor before the uh, before the Sheffield Wednesday game. I think he, he probably wanted to get on the pitch and get some revenge, didn't even get on. Um and it's, it's hard for him because you look at the partnership that Morsey and Luongo have got in midfield in terms of their chemistry and in terms of just how they complement each other, I think is the best way to put it, in, in terms of how you've got one real physical battler and another one who is this outrageously good, agile passer who can be perfect for, for really playing on the counter. And for Taylor to come in and, and get in ahead of one of those it seems to be like quite a task, maybe a, a harder one than he or even any of us realised when he first came in. I want to just mention some, we, we know the qualities that some of these players have on the ball, but I think um, Nathan Broadhead is the one in particular that I'm going to reference is how much he's added off the ball work to him when he first came in. McKenna kind of alluded to the fact that that's the side of his game that he needs to work on couple of times he really pressed he got in one one slide tackle in the first half which kind of set the tone which said to Wednesday you know we're we're a better team than you but we're also gonna we're gonna stand up to the physical stuff as well um and not just the usual suspects you know Cameron Burgess is going to put his head in I think Luke Wolfenden we know he's very calm and collected on the ball but I think he's improved the physical side of his game went in and won some headers as, as well and stuff like that. So I think McKenna's got real buy-in from all of these players that you have to earn the right to play. Um, so um, we know that we know they've got these well-drilled patterns of play. We know they can score loads of goals. I'm not that concerned about the, the profligacy and missing chances in this. They scored three against Leeds. They scored three against Cardiff. They're one of the highest goal scorers over the last few months. I'm, I'm not worried about them not having the players to take chances. This was just one of those off days where they didn't go in. The the bigger question marks were, were kind of stepping up to the championship. Can they mix it when when it gets a bit more physical? Can they can they manage games going deep in into matches? Those were the bigger question marks when they stepped up a level, and I think they went a little way to uh, answering some of those questions with this performance. Definitely, and I've got another big question for you boys um, to finish off this game against Sheffield Wednesday, and it's about Sam Morsey's boots. He's now got some white ones. Um, so thoughts on that? Silly question, I know, but it's a sun always look at. And um, he's always been wearing them red ones, Nike ones, but he's now got some white Nike ones. So uh, thoughts on this, on, on boots? Do you care? Probably not, but I wanted to bring it in. I had it raised um, in the reply to the player ratings article. Someone was going through and then talking about it and they brought up the fact that he changed his boots and it was like absolute shock horror. Um, I feel like, I mean, has this been kind of like a long running thing for him where he's had it for a really long time and he's, 
it's kind of what he's known for, or well, not known for, but you know, it's, it's that he's kind of a connection yeah. that's made. Yeah. So from my perspective, it's probably a little bit different because I've only seen it for a short period of time. I feel like when you've been looking at these by watching them week in week out, and they've kind of they've stuck with the same boots, and then you see it change you're like oh that's weird i don't like that from my perspective no i feel like i'm kind of sat there maybe thinking that sounds ridiculous but maybe if i was like you guys and i'd watched it week in week out maybe i would think it would be a bit strange i'm not sure sam i love you as a player you know that but no not white you're not a white <laughs> boots man i'm afraid to say it it's I'll, red's fine black would be better um, maybe, maybe it's just him sort of, um, you know, he's been overlooked by Egypt for a little while. He's like, we say some of his, we get so sort of blase about him being this kind of seven, eight minimum out of 10 minimum every week, man. Maybe that's just a, a little way of standing out a little bit more with these performances, but, uh, white, white boots. And also I don't like pink with that orange away kit. I think Harry, was it Harry Clark who had pink boots on? Oh, One yeah, of the players did. did. Yeah. That that's a horrible clash. Bright pink and bright orange. Mm. Do you think that they have like boots that coordinate with the two kits? Like, oh yeah, I've got my kits for the home kit. Sorry, my boots for the home kit and my boots for the away kit. Because I feel like as you said, you, you can't just go out there and go with a certain colour. I feel like if you went all orange, you'd look like a Lucasade bottle, for example. So <laughs> I, I, I think feel West like Burns it. had orange boots, I think. Oh, did so, he? Oh, sorry, yeah. Wes. My bad. Yeah. Um, the Dapper had I, pink boots as well, so I'm just going through some of the pictures. Yeah, the Dapper's mm. got pink ones as well, so yeah. I wonder if they do have to coordinate it based on, on the two kits. I wonder if maybe if there is going to be that third kit that has been mentioned in the fans forum, I wonder if the players have kind of gone to Mark Ashton and everyone saying, this is what we want because this coordinates best with our boots and I think this would, this would be really good, yeah. Or um, Luongo's got black boots. I don't know if, once again, I don't know what he wears for the home kit, but he's got, it works very well with the orange. Yeah, still, as you mentioned, yeah, I think if Morsey had black boots, that would look really nice with the, the orange kit um, and white boots as well. Yeah. We're going too in depth for this. Roy one day would be furious with this conversation. <laughs> <He> would be. <laughs> but, yeah. If they keep winning, they can wear whatever they like. Yeah, to be yeah. quite honest. Um, but yeah, it's just just a little thing. You know what? I was of, of an era where white you had to be a, a flashy winger to wear white boots. I know now they all wear a, a complete array of colours. Maybe being a bit old school with the thinking there, but yeah. Holding hard man midfielder in white. Mm, not sure about that. <laughs> he wants to show though how much it will get, you know, mud on it, you know, because he knows he's going to be going into tackle. He's going to, you know, it's going to they're going to get dirty because he's going to be he's all action. So maybe that's what he's showing as well. Sam Morsey wiping the blood off his boots as he comes <laughs> yeah. off the pitch with like so absolutely one of his preseason tackles, like one of the really strong ones. Yeah, yeah. that's that's the vibe. It's friendly, it's friendly Sam, but um, friendly's not in his dictionary, of course. Um, all right, then, boys. Um, I think that's it from the Sheffield Wednesday game. Another win, uh, third in the table, of course, goal difference and all that. Because Leicester won on Friday night against Southampton, of course, scoring in like 20 something seconds. Of course, Jamie Vardy scoring the goal. Um, but yeah, town, of course, got a trip down south to Southampton, St Mary's. It's been a while since we played them, and of course, they got relegated last year. So, this is the second relegated team we're going to be facing. They've not had a good two weeks, um, of course, they've had international break, but their last two results, I've seen them concede nine goals to. Um, yeah, how are you feeling going into this one? Yeah, we talked about sort of, I think McKenna's quite big on ticking off these little milestones along the way. I think it's his way of adding a little bit of 
hunger and motivation for a team that's become a winning machine. You've got to have this sort of these little things to aim for. And yeah, you've played one newly relegated side and lost. Let's see if we can address that on Tuesday night. I'm sure that will be something that's mentioned. Bless you. Um, yeah, Southampton, strange old team, really, aren't they? Because you look at it, they're a team that sold, I think, £160 million roughly worth of players this summer since dropping down. Forget parachute payments. It's the inflated fees you can get for your players coming coming down from the Premier League. Um, reinvested a reasonable amount of that in there. You look at their squad, they got some good players. Flynn Downs, who we'll probably come on to, on loan from, from West Ham. Um, Adam Armstrong up front. Um, who Ipswich were very keen on, who they, they spent a fair bit of money to get. You could go through them all. Um, Mason Holgate, who didn't even play in their last game in, in defence. Um, so on paper, they've got a good team. and But the Russell Martin style of play, as we know, takes a little bit of time. It's so possession-obsessed. Uh, that it can have its drawbacks. And we've seen that in their last two games, 5-0 losers at Sunderland um, and 4-1. They lost at home to Leicester on Friday night. Both of those games, they've conceded early goals, which then leaves them in the predicament of, of having to go and chase, which leaves them open a little bit more. So I think that you do have to have that caveat of the fact, I think they were two 0 down inside seven minutes against Sunderland, and as you say, the the Leicester goal came inside a minute. So that that always does change the complexion of a game a little bit. But um, with the qualities Ipswich have got on the counter attack, they seem to have morphed more into a side that can hit people quick this season. I'm sure that they they watched that game. It was on in the hotel on Friday night, and I'm sure they watched that game kind of licking their lips in in ways that they can potentially hurt Southampton in this match. Yeah, AJ, thoughts on Southampton then. I'm just going back to their previous results. Um, their opening three games, they had to score some late goals. Um, of course, a late winner against Sheffield Wednesday, a late equaliser against Norwich, and then a late winner, 94th minute winner against Plymouth. So um, those opening three games, they've had to score late on to get you know, three points and a point. Of course, they then beat Q- uh, QPR 2-1. But the last two games, you know, as we mentioned, they've lost heavily. So yeah, how are you feeling? Yeah, I think when you look at the late goals, they're not sustainable. You can't be a sustainable side winning games when you're relying on scoring and stoppage time deep in, you know, like they did at home park against Plymouth. And as well, you look at the games where they've done that and, I mean, yeah, they did it against Norwich. That's a, it's a, t- a tough game for them. Um, doing it away at Sheffield Wednesday, I don't necessarily think it's, you know, it's not necessarily the, the, the hardest thing to do. And Plymouth, well, I think I've been pretty impressed with their start, probably falls into the same bracket. When they've come up against harder tests, they've fallen quite short. I think that this is not the right job for Russell Martin. I'm not saying he's a a good manager. I think he is. But I think that when the expectations are so high for recently relegated Premier League clubs and he is a such a process-driven manager in terms of the way that he wants to play, and it can be a success, but you need to make sure everyone's bought into it. That's not just the players who, at the moment, I don't think necessarily are because it's just they're leaking goals, but also the fans who are booing them off, nine goals conceded in two games. And I think that's where now you can probably feel the pressure. And he's not a manager that is going to suit to just changing it overnight because he is just really process driven and needs that time. And I think that town are heading there at the right time. I think that 
if they do give him uh, a longer run, then there is every chance that he could turn this one around really easily because he has the, the talent there. But when you look at the squad and in terms of how open they've been, uh, we mentioned Flynn Downs. I think that he might miss this one through injury. I think he came off quite early in the second half with a knock that was uh, seemed to be quite bad. You're losing a key defensive midfielder out of that system then and then you're looking at then making changes and and doing all of that they had a red card in that game with one of their key attackers uh, who came off the bench already there are ways that town can hurt southampton here they're heading in at the right time and i just think stylistically it's a really tough game for southampton it'll be a tough game for town because they have southampton have the quality there but stylistically when you look at the high line that um Southampton played, especially I think it might have been the, the third or fourth goal that they conceded on that Friday night game. It just feels so set up for, for Towns wingers just to run and get in and cause all sorts of problems. There's a, a term in boxing, um, styles make fights, and this one is set up quite nicely for all the reasons that you, you've spoken about. I'm sure Southampton equally will be looking at the way Ipswich were taking goal kicks short, Cameron Burgess rolling it along the edge of his six-yard box, or Wolfenden to Hladke and playing these risky straight passes into the holding midfielder. And um, I think Southampton have better players to, equipped to kind of try and force mistakes there. Um, Armstrong is very quick. They've got Shea Adams as, as well. Um, so they'll be looking at that and thinking if they could force mistakes there. And uh, we talked about the, the cliched first goal, but if Ipswich can get that first goal and, and bring Southampton onto them, you'd fancy them to, to cause more damage on the counter-attack as, as um, Southampton have found in the last two games. But they're not to be underestimated in no way, shape or form. I've just gone through their squad there now. Eight of their players cost £10 million plus in transfer fees. So that's the difference. We're talking about Ipswich starting to spend one and a half million on players here and there. Southampton have, have been spending money, not just in the Premier League, but this transfer window on people like, you know, they've just spent ten and a half million on Shay Charles from Man City, a 19-year-old kid who's, who's highly highly thought of. They've, they've got some established international footballers. Um, Stuart Armstrong, 42 caps for Scotland. Um um, Bednarek at, at the back has played 51 times for Poland. Carl Walker Peters at right backs played twice for England. So, um, the, the, you know, I know we're all feeling really good about Ipswich at the moment, and it's really easy to look at Southampton's last two results and think, yeah, we should go there and we will win there. Um, and there's every reason to believe they can, but it, this is no no given here. And for me, I don't want to sound defeatist here, but I think I think a point would be good off the back of the results that Ipswich have had. You've gone to Sheffield Wednesday and you've won. You lost to Leeds last time out, a newly relegated team. I don't I, I, that might be seem defeatist, but I think four points from these two games on the road would would be a decent total. I'm not saying Ipswich can't win. I'm not saying they they won't win, but um, yeah, let's not underestimate the threat that Southampton pose here. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, St Mary's as well. I'm sure their their fans want to see uh, some better performances. Um, you know, Russell Martin. I wouldn't say he's under pressure early doors, but uh, the the last two results not too good. And of course, two young managers coming head to head. You know, Russell Martin. I think he's only maybe a hundred days, maybe older than McKenna because both 37. So um, two young managers coming head to head. Um, well, Stu, AJ, let's do predictions then. So Stu, you're going to go for a draw, but what, what's uh predictions uh, on the I weekend? Don't know if I... 
Yeah, I, I'm not saying it necessarily will be a draw, but I'm just saying I think that wouldn't be a bad result. And what I don't want is Ipswich to kind of go there, get a draw, and everyone almost feels down about it. That feels kind of where we're at at the moment. Um, let's put a bit of perspective into this. Um, I don't know. Uh, Score-wise, it feels like you look at Southampton's results, 4-4s and losing shipping goals in the last few games. It feels like it could be a a high-scoring game, a bit like the Leeds one. Um, Ipswich creating loads of chances. 2-2, Ross. 2-2. First goal scorer, put you on spot as always. Uh, George Hurst. George Hurst. 2-2, George Hurst for the first town goal scorer. AJ, you're still leading the way. Um, mm-hmm. Leaderboard as it stands, 12 points. I've got eight. Tfi, you with five. Stu with four. Um, I got two points, thanks to Con Chapman scoring the goal, but none of us got their prediction right. But what are you going mm-hmm. for, my friend? Um, I think one of the things we touched upon going into the Sheffield Wednesday one is how they could turn the crowd with kind of the, the performance there. And I think that Southampton, having heard the fans in that absolute thrashing at St Mary's on Friday night, I think there is the potential to do that again. I think there will be goals, and I think that it's not a game where Town are going to go and keep a clean sheet. I also think that they, they can definitely go and really uh, hurt Southampton. So I'm going to go with a 3-2 Town win, and I'm going to go with your winning formula from the weekend. I'm going to go Connor Chaplin to score first, and I'm also intrigued to see as, as a kind of a uh, another thing to mention, I'm intrigued to see what the reception is for Russell Martin from the away fans, because obviously he has uh, some links to a certain club that uh, Tampan's not too friendly with. So I, I, I'm intrigued to see if he gets a Daniel Farker-style reception from the, that Leeds game. Yeah, Alex Neal as well. He had sort mm. of, you know reception of when he, of course, came to Warner with Stoke. Um, but yeah, I'm sure there's going to be some jeers about it, I'm sure. Um, of course, um, there's another former player um, playing for Southampton these days, Stu. It's uh, Ryan Fraser on loan from Newcastle. So um, I'm sure he'll feature at some point. My prediction, oh, I've got two predictions in my head. One is there's going to be loads of goals, or it could be another, you know, just professional town performance. One nil, just get a goal, defend well, and that'll be it. So where do I go with it, boys? Do I risk it? Do I go one nil? Do you know what? Do you know what? Let's do it. You know what? Maybe that because Southampton they want to make sure they don't concede too many. So I'm going to go one nil town, and let's put the goal scorer to be. You know what? Random one, Sam Morsey. Maybe he, maybe he needs a goal. So uh, Morsey the the score the winner. You know, in the second half somewhat, and that'll be something different. We'll find out Heathy's prediction when we ask him. But there we go. Whatever boots he wants if he scores the winner <laughs> in this game. Right. Yeah. I give my blessing, which he obviously needs. <laughs> yes, definitely. Uh, someone will clean his boots because thanks for the, the screamer he scores. So there we go. Um, shall we actually quickly round up the, the championship um, games? Because, of course, there'll be games on Tuesday night in the championship. But from the weekend, uh, Preston are still top boys um, from the pre-season game against them where they looked very bad. <laughs> the only championship side who have uh, stayed unbeaten. Five wins, one draw. Um, they're looking not too bad, are they, Alex? Wasn't a good prediction from me, was it? The preseason, I think they're going to go down. Um, that being said, I think that Still Preston early. have been... <laughs> well, I, unless they have a, a really torrid run, I think they probably will survive, and I think they've shown enough to do that. Um, but I think that it's also one of those maybe where, and I've not watched too much of Preston aside from a little bit to the highlights, 
Um, they have been a team in recent seasons, like some of the others, who've done really well at the start. And then they like they have a lot of people talking about them. Oh, here are the underdogs and they're top of the league ahead of you know Leeds and Leicester and all of them. And it might just get to them a little bit, especially with some teams finding form, as I'm sure you'll touch on now. Yeah, um, and also there's two bottom half of the top at, in, at the bottom, Middlesbrough. They're down there. Swansea yeah, Mid- also Middlesbrough in my top. It, we're in my top two in the preseason predictions. I think Alex and I both talked about Swansea being kind of uh, underdog, underdog potential, not going too well for them. So uh, yeah, what do we know? The Championship. Mm. So unpredictable, isn't it? It's great. It's Premier League, you can you can pretty much work out your top six, your bottom third. Um, but the championship, it just never fails to surprise. I do think that these things can change so quickly, yeah. though. I mean, Middlesbrough were absolutely torrid up until about October when they made the change and then mm. getting rid of Chris Wilder and bringing in Michael Carrick and that then sparked them into life. And yeah, there was a lot of good recruitment. Is that basically what's going to happen then? Carrick's going to get sacked in October. Uh, well, the recruitment that Middlesbrough wouldn't exactly fill me with confidence and they've lost so many goals. Mm-hmm. You've got Akbom, who's going to be playing Europa League football now, and you've got um, Cameron Archer, who's going to be playing in she- with Sheffield United in the Premier League. Um, I think he scored on his debut. So these are the kind of level players that are really hard to replace. And looking at Middlesbrough's recruitment, I don't think... Well, I think they will improve, and, and I think relegation probably is unlikely, or a relegation battle even, I think, that um, to kind of replicate that huge turnaround. And, and other clubs did it last season. You look at West Brom, I think it probably will be beyond them a bit, yeah. Yeah, the championship is just bonkers, isn't it? As Mick McCarthy used to say, just anything, any team can do anything. And in the early days, the table, you know, you can't you can't look at it too early doors because yeah that, that's going to change completely. So yeah, we're still um, in that sort of bedding in process after the the transfer window shutting, aren't we? And a lot of new managers still trying to bed things in, and that comes back to what Mark Ashton keeps talking about as Ipswich Town's super strength, their superpower is their stability. Um, for all the kind of disappointment that Ipswich didn't do anything mega in the transfer window this summer. They kept together the bulk of their team. New contract for McKenna, new contract for Chaplin, signing Hurst permanently, added a little bit of um, around the edges with some mainly some lone players. But while everyone else is still kind of getting their house in order, we've seen it with Sheffield Wednesday, we've seen it with Stoke, Ipswich have got off to a really good start and that that uh, momentum is not to be underestimated. Having that little platform now, um, you're in a position where they've earned the right, that they've taken the pressure off with this good start, which means they can continue to attack games and and like go to Southampton and not think, oh, we better try and sort of just grind out a draw because we could do with getting some points on the board. Go and attack it. It's almost a kind of a free hit going to places like this and, and trusting yourself. I think they've, they've won the same number of games that they got in the entirety of the relegation season. I saw a stat at the weekend. Um, that's quite remarkable. Um, so, you know, I'm sure they'll come... There'll be some little bumps in the road to come, but this is this has got Ipswich into a nice little position to be able to continue attacking this division. Yes, yeah, so exciting that boys just excited going to every town game watching this team. So um yeah, uh yeah, look forward to, to Tuesday night. Um boys, we're getting to the hour mark. We've got a few other little bits and bobs to talk about. Um, Do you want to just discuss the team before we move on from from yeah, this? It's gonna be I think McKenna talked pre-Sheffield Wednesday about this being the time now. The game's coming thick and fast about utilising the depth of the squad, about 
rotation. It's been a very settled side from February onwards. Um, do you reckon there'll be many changes for Tuesday night? I mean, Wes Burns came off with a, a tight hamstring on 70 minutes. Do you risk him going again? Caden Jackson, I think this we talked about the hitting Southampton on the counter. It feels like a bit of a Caden Jackson-y type game for me maybe on the right I thought Hurst will definitely play up front if he's yeah. now he's uh, now he's got that little cameo under his belt he's someone that runs in in behind up front um any other any other changes elsewhere we talked about the midfield too is this any can anyone see Jack Taylor coming in for this one or do you have to keep riding that that middle two? Oh, it's tricky isn't it I I mean he's not going to go out and make big changes that's for sure I think that there are other games where he might look at kind of doing that in the coming weeks but I think definitely Caden Jackson this is a Caden Jackson game and if Burns isn't 100% you want someone to run with pace and then cause the, the fullbacks problems because well at least from what we've seen from the games of Southampton played there is going to be real pace to real space and gaps to exploit there uh, assuming that he can stay on sides it'll be a big thing because they're going to play a high line and there'll be an offside trap there in midfield it's so tricky to look past Massimo Luongo there with, with Sam Morsey. I think, I mean, Morsey as the skipper, I think, is one where, unless there's going to be an injury, it's, it's hard to see him dropping yeah. out pretty much across the board. Um, so you're looking at maybe him coming in for Luongo. And a couple of games ago, you maybe would have seen that where Luongo's levels were definitely not poor, but they maybe weren't quite as high as we've seen before. The Leeds game, the Cardiff game wasn't quite at it. But he was so good against Sheffield Wednesday, so it's difficult to see him coming out of the team. Uh, so I don't think it will happen for yeah, tomorrow. Maybe one where they go, soon. yeah, they almost sort of pre-plan it that they go, you know, let's see how the game goes. But let's, you've, we've got an hour in mind for you, and you're sort yeah. of telling telling Jack Taylor that you know be ready because we're gonna we are you are definitely going to be needed at some point as long as. You know, red cards and injuries and things like that don't sort of change the plans for substitution windows and, and stuff like that. Um, you know, you might have been looking at Brandon Williams coming in for Harry Clark at right back in, in this one to try and protect his Achilles going Saturday, Tuesday. But the Davis injury kind of uh, has changed that a little bit. So hopefully Harry can can kind of keep churning out these these games because, as we said, the, suddenly the fullback position could look a little bit um, stretched potentially, but um, yeah, be interesting to see what team he goes with. I think the pre-planning is key there for sure, because you look at if, if Taylor doesn't start tomorrow, I'd probably say that he's in a good position to then come in and even if you know Luongo does have a good game, probably come in and look at playing the, the Blackburn game on Saturday in the same way. If you're asking Clark maybe to go two in a row, which is possible now, be three in a row because he obviously played the full 90 on Saturday. If Danassian isn't back and, and Davis could be out for a while and those fullback areas are thin, then again, you could be looking and saying, well, Don Ball, we'd like you to go and play the Wolves game, for example. It's about having probably a, a longer term vision in mind in terms of what they want to do because they can't just go and ask all these players to, to play all the time for starters. And also you want to say to the ones who are maybe on the fringes and getting frustrated, as we've kind of heard from Jack Taylor, for example, I don't think he's frustrated, but he wants to play games, of course. And I think it's good for him to have a vision of saying, you'll play a bit, you know, we'll give you 30 minutes against Southampton. And then, you know, all being well, we want you to come in and start that Blackburn game in the same way Don Ball might have one 
panned out by the Wolves game and, and there'll be others like Dane Scarlett and Amari Hutchinson there as well where they'll want to be in a position that they know when they're going to play roughly. That was the only that was the only downside to not getting that killer second or third goal on Saturday. I think you'd have seen Jack Taylor come on. Did he come on in the end or did no no he didn't. So uh, you're, you're obviously looking at Morsi and Luongo so well embedded in tenacious. They're the players that you want kind of going towards to the end of the game to see out a result like that. I think if they'd have got a second goal, um, second or a third goal, you, you'd have seen him on a little bit sooner. So. Um, yeah, I'm sure his time will come, but he's going to have to stay patient for now. Well, I'm just looking at um, some stats here, and um, I don't know if it's still a thing, but um, is the five yellow cards you get a game suspended? Yes. Sam Ward is on four yellow cards now. Is he? So he got, he got, got booked um, on Saturday. He's been booked in the Leeds game, uh, Stoke game and Sunderland game. So, yeah, he's on four. I wonder what they do there when that moment comes, as it inevitably does with, with Sam. Um it feels like the way Taylor talks is that he's kind of the interchangeable midfield man with Luongo that plays in that sort of the left side that has a bit more freedom to to get forwards and, and join the attack. Um, he could play that deep, that sort of more more protecting holding role, Luongo, but a Luongo Taylor, or would you then turn to a Lee Evans as the kind of more of a like for like for for Sam Morsi or, uh, or even Don Ball, but. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, that 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 would be a that would be one, one that I, I think really would depend on the game from my perspective. Mm. Because if you were going, for example, tomorrow, I think if you ended up playing a Taylor Luongo midfield two, where both of them are good passers, want to kind of move forward, I think it would be an absolute train wreck. You need to have someone like Morsey in there who can sit deep, be the battler, win the duels, make the passes, and kind of yeah, sit deeper basically. And, and that's what we saw against Sheffield Wednesday, and we've seen all season. Uh, where he's just absolutely crucial in that role. And maybe there are going to be some other games where that isn't as important necessarily. That's probably where you wouldn't feel as uncomfortable saying, yeah, play those two together. But I think definitely if you're coming up against a strong side, you're away from home and you need to have that solidity in midfield, that cover, someone to shield the back line a little bit, then I don't think that you could do that. And I think you might need to look at somebody like Lee Evans or a Don Ball where... That's more natural for them. You know, what was he though? Of course, through last season, went on that amazing run, didn't he? When he was like so close to getting that suspension, and he just didn't get carded for games and games. So I don't know if he's been told like you've got four yellow cards now, so try your best. But of course, there's been so many yellow cards in games just for time wasting and just for certain little things. So you know, it's so easy to get carded these days. So uh, watch this space, boys. Um, well, let's just um, round up the the pod then. Um, a quick little loan roundup. Just want to mention uh, one. Man, Carl Edwards scoring um, his first league goal for Oxford. Uh, a fine strike, Stu. Uh, nice little finish from him. His second goal now for them. He scored in Pat John's. But uh, yeah, he's, he's showing what he can do. Yeah, that's a, what, something we've seen from Kyle uh, Ipswich before. His ability to cut inside from the left and bent one into the top corner. That was, um, I think he scored a very similar goal in pre-season, didn't he? At the start of pre-season against Felix Stowe. Was it that game that he scored a goal like that? So yeah, nice to see him playing with a smile on his face on his face. Um, it's good. Definitely. And uh, yeah, Gassan, Idris um, got more minutes in League One. Panuche still out though, injured. Uh, Mock Captain sort of gave a little bit of an update. No time scale. So um, we don't know when he'll be back. Mm. Uh, Koyan Darba is still out injured, but um, he's sadly got another ankle injury. Um, could be back at the end of September. So fingers crossed on that because he's started so well at Kilmarnock and he's been, you know, stopped here. So we'll find out. And then some other young players, 
playing National League and uh, non-league football. So, um, yeah, they're getting minutes, which is good to see. Um, and then finally, the Tractor Girls got another win on the weekend at Felixstowe. Uh, a 5-0 win against London Bees. Could have scored more. Just like the men, they should have took their chances a bit better. But, yeah, 5-0 is, is happy. A clean sheet. And um, they're looking pretty good. So, that's a good thing. We'll be uh, Tractor Girls Talk podcast later in the week. So, um, check that out with me and Blue and a special guest. Um, but yeah, any other business, boys? The uh, EAFC 24 ratings are out, aka FIFA. Um, basically, they're not connected to FIFA anymore, EA Sports. But the ratings are out, and I'm sure the players in the dressing room are going to be talking about them. Um, Stu, you got any interest in this? I'm sure, you know, so there's a lot of young players in our squad. I'm sure they'll be looking at, I'll bet you Sam Moses. I don't know. I don't know if he's, is he a, do you think he's a FIFA player or EAFC player? Uh, they'll all, a few will say that they don't care about them, but they, I'm sure they do. When somebody rates your physicality, yeah. you're said to be less physical than a, a teammate, or so and so is quicker than you. Um, I'm sure they'll, they'll have some either, you know, public or private thoughts on on those. Um, have you seen them? I, I haven't really seen them yet. Yeah, me and AJ are going to be recording separate videos, so um, listeners, check that out. But um, quick, let's just quickly mention AJ. Um, Brandon Williams is the highest-rated town player, which mm-hmm. I think he's always going to be because he's a main United loanee. Um, Sam Morsey has seen upgrades, as well as um, Colin Chapman, both on 71. Brandon Williams on 72. Leif Davis is on 70. Um, and everyone else is pretty much in, in the silver rankings. Idris Elmazuni is on loan at Lane Orient. He's 67 <laughs> when George Hurst is 67, which is... It's mad to think, uh, but Idris has done well the last few years. But I think George Hurst could be high rated, definitely with him being a, a former Leicester player. And I know, you know, last season playing League One football, but uh, we're going to maybe too in depth with this. But yeah, thoughts on it quickly. Yeah, I think that it's difficult to rate newly promoted sides for starters because I think you look at someone like Leith Davis and the way he's adapted to the championship and you have other left backs that I think would be quite a bit higher than him in the league and I don't think there's too many better left backs than Leith Davis in the championship at the same time to what extent do um, the EA analysts necessarily look into all the in-depth stats of kind of league one and league two players and all that kind of thing especially when you compare it to a football manager who I think have like specific analysts that go to games and stuff like that, slightly different territory. Um, I didn't think there were, from what I looked at this, I think there were too many kind of real shockers, a few of them where you think, oh, that's not quite right. I don't think that's that's really the, the right way of going about it. But overall, when you look at it, I think that it's probably everyone seems to stepped up but I don't think the ratings have gone mad I also do think that when he gets added in Axel Twanzebe will top the rankings for the yeah. uh for the town team yeah I think last season he has 74 so um I don't know if he'll get a downgrade because he didn't play much last season but it'll still probably be in the 70s um talking about physicality Stu um there's actually four players who have got the same physicality so Sam Morsey Luke Wolford and Lee Evans and Jordan Emerson's on 78 I don't know if that sort of adds up because uh yeah, I, 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 is I don't it know. Morsi, Wolfie, Evans, and Edmondson. Okay, so seventy-eight. They're on seventy-eight. So, Poor Cameron Burgess. Yeah, I don't. I don't think he's even like uh, Harry Clark's on seventy-seven. I don't think he's in the top five. I've done a top five of different defending and stuff, and yeah, it's interesting to see mm. that Cameron Burgess is not in that, which is strange. What pace has Caden Jackson got? He's he's got the same as Wes Burns, ninety one. So 
Once again, we want them. We just want them to the race, don't we? And see that's how you find out, basically, don't you? Just put put them on a on a, a training ground. Just do a you know how many meters, and then boom, see who's quicker. We should um, suggest this. I don't think we'd be able to have an involvement in this. We should suggest it to the town media team. Get that filmed. Definitely, would like a, a shot to see see them two up against each other. Yeah, yeah. But people will use the, like that's what the game's all about. It's just pace. <laughs> Those players, you just want pace, 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 and I think that's what you—that's what I do with Itchy. If I play as Itchy, I just use them as pace merchant. That's what you want. But um, yeah, there will be a, a longer video of me and AJ talking about the ratings, going through it all. Kieran Slicker is the lowest-rated player, fifty-three, but he's come from Man City. He's like a third choice, so um, you know, probably that's why. Kevin Humphreys though is not an upgrade. But anyway, we'll, we'll talk more about it on the separate video. So check that out when it's uploaded. Um, so there we go, boys. Any other business as we wrap up another? podcast as we head down to Southampton on Tuesday night. Um, Stu, anything else you want to mention, my friend? No other business. Love that. AJ, anything from you? I've been so captivated by the baby Yoda that sat behind Stu on this video. <laughs> it has been in, I've just like staring at it for the last kind of That's why you got subscribed to the video. 30 minutes. Wanna... Yeah. This is like yeah. when, when Mark had his dog that came out. There you go. There we go. Oh, he's a Lego one. Oh, that is so cool. Oh, and this this is unbelievable. There's a screenshot sorted for the video. There we go. <laughs> Last week it was the DeLorean. This week it's Yoda. Stu's Grogu. That was fantastic. Brilliant. Thank you. That that has made my day. Um this is as as Ross said, this is kind of why the video side of things is so absolutely important because you can't imagine what you've just seen. You can't picture these images. This is this is why you have to subscribe. Get Pretty to see so. how messy my spare bedroom is. <laughs> that's not too bad. It's, that's not no, too nice. Not at all. Got a nice little, you know, box sort of white box sort of like cabinet thing to store, you know, different things in, which is good. You need to get my royal screen to yeah. block out all Just, the mess that I'm sat around. <laughs> I've got a terrible background, really. Uh, we're not really selling it now, are we? As the video, but you, you can see our faces. Faces. Exactly. So you can see my and beard. You can see Lego Baby Yoda's. Yeah. So yeah, okay. subscribe if you haven't already for the for the video content. If you're listening to this on audio, hope you're having a good uh, drive to Southampton, drive to work, yeah. on a walk, on a run, just chilling on your sofa, um, doing what you're doing. Hope you have enjoyed the podcast. Um, final little notes, of course. Um, shout out to our sponsors, Manscaped. Use the code KOA to get 20% off and free delivery for all your grooming needs, your nose, your ears, your beard. Up down below, you know where the crown jewels and all that is. Then, of course, SEO, not CEO, for all your marketing needs, Google ads, all that sort of stuff. Tony Southgate and the team at Ginger Pickle will sort you out if you want your ginger pickled. Uh, check them out. And um, if you haven't already, of course, follow us on all our socials on Kings of Anger on Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, all that, all that bits and bobs. And if you're not going to the game, follow the game with the boys and myself. All the regular content will be out there. And um, thanks again for listening. We're back later in the week to look ahead to Blackburn, talk about Southampton and all that sort of stuff. And uh, bye-bye for now.
Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.